Hello and welcome to the Shira podcast, where we interview black women who are leading in their field. Our guests range from entrepreneurs to educators. These leading women are willing to share their experiences and successes, giving back to our community and showcasing so that others can see, learn and lead too. It can be tough for women and even more so for black women. We explore what it takes to rise above the challenges in today's world and be all that you were called to be. I'm Ogay. And I'm Lisa. And we're your host. So get ready. And get comfortable as we dive straight in. Our guest today is a microbiologist and an educator turned food brand entrepreneur. She is also the founder of Maggie's An African Twist to Your Everyday Dish. She's a member of the Food and Drinks Wales Industry Board, and she is the author of two books, The Melting Pot and 100 Things I Wish My Mother Had Told Me. She lives and works from their 1800s pub in Pennygroes, North Wales, and she is the holder of the 2017 Business Wales Mentee Award, as well as four Great Taste Product Awards, as well as a title of Great Taste Producer. So, Maggie, we are delighted to have you on the Shira podcast today. Welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. So, we want to get the most out of you, so we'll crack on. I know you personally, Maggie, so I know that you have lived and run your business in North Wales for a number of years. And I also know that there isn't a strong presence of ethnic minorities in the part of North Wales where you live. So can you tell us what your journey was and what led you to that North Wales to live and set up your business? Okay, so what my journey was, thank you ladies for having me here and for um, asking me this question, what my journey is that brought me to Wales to set up my business. So recently I published a post on Instagram and it says hashtag get Maggie's to London. If you see the picture on it, you have the map of Africa, you have the colours of Wales, you have, is it the wheel of London that shows the, con- the connection? And I guess that summarises me. I started off in Africa and since you want to know my journey. I started off from there. Well, no, I started off in the UK because I was born here, moved here and have run a business alongside working for loads of years. When I started having children, I guess nowadays you would say I'm one of those who was meant to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't realize that then. So worked for a while, gave my 100% to every job I did and just thought, why don't I do this for myself? And so I started self-employment and somewhere along the line in my self-employment and catering, which is what I started with and running a number of cafes, my family decided to move to Wales. So we shut down everything, literally everything, didn't carry over anything to Wales, came here and two weeks after being in Wales and trying to get jobs, in a Welsh-speaking, 80% Welsh-speaking part of Wales, we discovered that it was going to be a really difficult thing. And so having gone around two weeks checking out the area, I decided to provide food for the locals at local farmers markets. And that journey led me on to opening a cafe. That cafe led me on to 
closing down and just running African pop-ups because I thought, let me bring a bit of Africa to uh, North Wales. And the journey has gone on from there. I become a food producer and I've become a member of the um, Food and Drink Wales board so I can influence, you know, have a say in what goes on around here. So that's uh, hopefully just a summary of my journey. Wow. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Incredible and brave. <laughs> Very brave. Totally agree with you, Lisa. We will talk sometime about those moments when I wasn't so brave, but yes. <laughs> so what support was there when you started out the business? And, you know, in terms of access, did you have um, mentors or um, any access to grants and funding when you first started out? Well, like, like I said, we came to Wales, we came to a village, we live in a village. And when I say village, I think when we moved here, there were about 2000 people. So, and we didn't speak one word of Welsh and I wanted to start a business and I knew nothing about nothing. So I did ask around, I did mm. ask the few people that I knew. I had worked for about six months in a cafe just so I could get some taste of the land. And I asked and uh, I was introduced to someone who was leaving post. He he was uh, an ethnic minority and he was leaving post and there were no grants available. So it was a tough journey. It's part of what you say is brave because I would walk from office to office. Someone would suggest, okay, go to Gwyneth Council, which is my local council. And they would be like, no, there's nothing. Okay, go here, go there. So I went here, there and everywhere, spoke to everybody uh, that I could possibly speak to. So it was a, um, I didn't start with any uh, assistance really. I just started. I could say that I started perhaps with about 30 pounds. Um, um, and then at some point when I ran the cafe, at that point, I think I knew a few more people. So I discovered mm. a local investment grant. And that was what helped me set up the kitchen for the, um, the, to run the cafe. And since then, just because I know a bit more about the land, just because I speak a bit more Welsh, just because I've forced myself in people's faces sometimes <laughs> i found that wales is a place of opportunity there are a lot of grants that help and support small and growing businesses even startup businesses but i have to say that i spent a lot of my own money a lot of my own energy and right now part of you know part of being on the board is that i want i don't want anybody to have to go through mm -hmm. the tough journey i went through mm -hmm. yeah yeah. Yeah. So you've mentioned some of those uh, hurdles, particularly with finding support when you first started. What would you say were the greatest hurdles that you had to overcome to run your business the way that you wanted it to run? I think it, while people may think this is odd, one of the, the one of the biggest hurdles we had to overcome both as a family and as a business person was overcoming the fact that we were an oddity. We were unknown in the part of Wales where we moved to. Some people had never seen black people, so wow. they didn't know how to define us. Um, and what people are not, you know, people are suspicious of what they don't understand and sometimes even fearful. So we had to overcome fear. We had to overcome suspicion. Um, we ha I had to educate people about what it is I was trying to do. I remember trying to apply for quite a number of farmers markets because for me, that was a routine. And I was told of a fairly prestigious one, but I just was not, 
I, I wasn't getting positives back. So I went to a local, I was allowed to go to something local to me and people kept coming up to my store and, you know, looking and chatting and I'm thinking, oh, I'm getting loads of custom, but the custom wasn't buying. One of the guys finally came up and said, ah, oh, so you sell normal stuff. We weren't sure what you sold. I said, I, you know, I literally threw my head back and, and cracked up. And I said, what were you expecting? Crocodiles and snakes and things like that? You know, normal stuff. So after that, I then started being, my invitations to these markets then started being honored. So mm. yeah, you, I had to overcome people's lack of awareness, really. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like quite a tough one to overcome. And so now that you've started your business, you've run, been running there for a number of years, would you say the challenges have somewhat changed? And what did the impact of you being female as well as black have on those challenges? I think some of the challenges are still similar in that I have to educate people first, at least local people about my products. And so one of the things that we try to do as a business is extend our reach. We're looking at exporting because there's some countries that I would export to that I don't have to educate people about the, the product. So there's that one. As far as being a female and in business here, I have to say that on the whole, in the network that I move around, there are so many females in business. In fact, more of the females seem to be running the businesses around here. So I fitted in nicely, except that I can't lie, I was the only black female and loud. And, and, but I think I fitted in okay because I, I d- didn't have any hang-ups or any airs and graces or didn't think, in fact, I I say this often, I don't tend to think of myself in colour. And it's when somebody says something that I realise, oops, I'm the only one um, in this group. So once in a while, just to just to mess with the atmosphere in a room, I'll say, oh, I'm the only black girl in the village, you know, in a group of people and watch for their reactions. There you go. That's, that's that sounds, uh, yeah, sounds like the sort of thing that you would do, Margaret. But yes, like Lisa said, it did take boldness and being brave Mm. to be the only one and still Mm. keep pushing until you have got to the point that you are now yeah yeah you know, saying, saying that, it's, I have to say that 2020, the year of COVID and us sitting more at home, made me realize how bold I was sometimes and how much I pushed and how much energy I used. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So there's been some research that was done in 2005 that showed that many people of colour that owned businesses traditionally were of a niche sector. So, for example, South Asians would do catering or retailing in clothing and Eastern Asians would do catering and textiles. And Black and African and Caribbean people tended to do beauty, catering or car repairing services. You wouldn't find... um, people of color having businesses more in the technical side or you know the innovation of um, engineering side as much have you found that to be true it's funny you ask that I, and hearing that I think of myself as a cliche then because I started in I started in catering but I mm. I have experienced that I do think that is a fact you know and I think that it is so because it is the easiest way to get into the market I think we we find ourselves very much outside the pond outside what is familiar and it's very difficult then to get into that so we tend to mirror people that we see and the people 
that we see are doing these things. So in the, with the Asians, they're running shops, they're catering. So you just you just mirror the people before you because again, it takes boldness, it takes bravery to step outside of that. I would say that it took boldness and bravery for me to decide to apply for a job on the board because I, you know, I'm a caterer, I'm, I produce food, I'm a producer, but maybe not a member of a board, so to speak, in, in, in the UK. Yeah. So, yep, I agree with you. Those We follow those stereotypes because we're led into them, really. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess yeah. that boldness is changing. So, like you said, people become what they see. If they see more people out there on boards like yourself, then they'll think, well, I can apply and be on a board. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yes, Lisa, it's true that that encourages people. But I think part of it is us actually getting bold, us actually. Sometimes we have things that are driving us from within and we have to step out or step away from the fear or step away from the limiting beliefs and and, and take yes. the bull by the horn ourselves sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. that's so right. That's so right. It would be remiss of us not to talk about the events of last year. So we have had an incredibly challenging and difficult year with the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter protests. Now, I am aware that there was an incident where your family experienced blatant racism and you managed to turn it around for good in some way. So can you tell us just a little bit about what happened, how you felt and what prompted you to turn it on its head? Okay, so um, this morning in June last year, I was going for my daily walks. It's one of the things that um, I took up in COVID because I didn't want to get fat or get fatter, whichever the case may be, add weight, as they said, everybody was going to do. And so I'm walking past my garage door. I'm like, I say this, it's like five steps from my front door and I have this obvious huge garage door and there's this white swastika or something like that painted on my garage door. And I, I kid you not, I just thought, oh no, they did not. And then I thought, no, 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 let me not make any assumptions. Let me walk down a bit and see if this is just on my garage door. So I walked down and there was nothing on any others. So I was going, to, I actually was going to continue on my walk, which would have been two hours later. But I decided to go in and inform the family, just give, give them a heads up. And I told my husband and he laughed. He just, he just laughed. And um, I think I left my son. I didn't tell him, went on my walk, actually did not think about this till I met a friend and I was telling her, oh, I have this garage door that I've got. Uh, I don't know how we got to talk about racism oh, because it was times of Black Lives Matter. And I thought, oh, I have have to go back and and deal with that and my one thought was someone's been stupid and we are going to have to deal with the consequences and clear all of this so when I got back home I thought now actually this is not funny uh, I, I had had time to think about it it's not funny it's not right so since they say that social media works I'm going to take a picture which I'd done and I'm going to put it on social media I'm going to put it on my Facebook page and so I just wrote a post look what I woke up to and 3,000 hits later this thing went viral I've always wanted to go viral I can't lie I wonder how <laughs> posts go viral well it went viral hits on facebook on i have 
Even today, I have tons of letters in English and Welsh. I got so many flowers. I did not have anywhere to put. I didn't have any more vases. We had people come to our front door crying. Now, mm. the natural thing was that people wanted to take it down. One of our neighbors already came and said, oh, don't mind them. They're really silly. They don't know what, what that means and was going to take it off. And we're like, nope, no, don't take it off. I said to my husband, no, I've decided I don't want it to go down for a while. I want the village mm. to feel how we felt. Because yeah. if they're walking past that, they will feel uncomfortable. And I wanted them to experience that. And I said that uh, shortly after newspapers started calling me, uh, media started calling me. And I explained that this, this was the thing. It was going to stay up. We even had someone who'd come and started rubbing it off. And my husband had to, you know, he had to deal with he had to deal with that. So, so that was that part of that. I, I got catapulted to media fame. But the thing that most surprised me is that um, I, had a we- I have a website and it was ticking over. And on the first, I think on the first day, I said to my husband, oh, look, um, we've just got 12 orders come in. I don't think I'd ever had 12 orders in one day before then. I said, oh, we're really trending. He said, oh, we'll be trending when we have like, I don't know, 20 orders. I came to him an hour later. I said, we have 100 orders. Wow. I said, we have 150 orders. I said, we're getting 10 orders an hour. And at that point, I shut down. I really did because I could not deal with the capacity that Mm. was coming in. In the first day, on the first day, I think we ended up with about 500 orders. Wow. 500 different addresses. And I'm thinking, how am I going to deal with this? And all of this is people saying, we want to support you. We want you to know that we don't think like this in Wales. This this person who has done this is not reflecting what we, our view, and and that's our way of supporting you. We will do this. So over 1,000 orders later I'm like okay I now have to fulfill all of this so in the times of COVID our business expanded that is really an act someone that is really really amazing that what somebody intended to and I'm sure they were probably regretting having done that if they knew Mm -hmm. what what then happened yeah yeah yeah. It's Amazing. true. The next day was our, we had a Black Lives uh, campaign here and I went and I spoke. Some people hadn't heard about it and I spoke there. And um, and I did say, if this guy knew, because it was a guy, the, hmm. the, the, we, we um, had the tape recording of him doing this, but just not his face. And I thought if he knew that it was going to do this for a Black person, he would not have done it. He must be so upset where he is, you know. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm, I, I have a story around that and maybe one day I'll tell you because I I was making plans for the business and it seemed like God actually used that opportunity to fulfill my plans for the business yeah that's great and it is that isn't it that microaggression of making uh, another race feel other um, than you know that you don't fit in and we know that they use anything that's different to highlight that including food <laughs> which is what you're an expert in And you've told us about, you know, that first episode where, you know, they didn't know what type of food you sold. (laughs) It's just like, you know, what other microaggressions have you experienced in this way? Well, it's it's funny when we talk about microaggressions, my immediate thought on that is I haven't experienced uh, them, but that's only because I don't, sometimes they go past my my head, over my head. But we have, as a family and as, uh, as a 
person. I've experienced a lot of microaggressions. My, I think the ones that stand out for me are the ones that affected my uh, children. So my son came home from primary school one day and said some guy from the senior school called him a nigger. Oh, you should have seen me. Mama bear me. My microaggressions is when things are done to my children. So my son in um, primary school was called a nigger by a uh, 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 young man in secondary school and so I marched up to the school that day and like I always tell people I'm not one who gets too much involved in school and gives them a hard time because I know that um, teaching is not an easy profession I I marched straight to the head teacher I was spitting feathers and I told him I said it's not I went on and on and on and they dealt with that we've also had eggs thrown at our front door I, and my business and my home are uh, housed in this 18th century pub. So we've had eggs thrown at the front door. We've had uh, windows smashed. Uh, when we first came here in the first year, we had a, one of our windows smashed. So, yeah, and there, there are quite a number of uh, things that I can, I can mention, uh, but I don't tend to think yeah. on them or keep them in mind. I have to think quite deeply, especially ones against me. I tend to try to not notice. I, <laughs> yeah, I've had, as a female, I've had one. I had, um, and I say this one with caution, in my very early days, I had a, a delivery driver um, come and whether you play this or not is up to you. I had a delivery driver come into the shop that I was managing. And somehow, before I knew it, this guy had turned me round and was pushing himself against me. I cannot describe to you how that happened. But I was horrified, you know, and I guess that in itself is is an aggression against a female. I'm a male, yes. you're a female, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's interesting talking to other people who are black, uh, the facts you said about you, you know, you struggle to remember because when you've been through so much of that, it gets to the point where you decide, actually, maybe I'm not going to fight this. And you start to ignore because somehow you've got to carry on with life. And if you took every single microaggression against you and thought on it and did something on it, you would just be worn out at the end of the day so a lot of a lot of people I've spoken to say they just get to the point where you know it happens to you you take it and you put it somewhere and you just carry on living but in the last year with everything having happened people are remembering the things that even maybe at the time they didn't recognize as microaggression but now thinking about it they're thinking yep there was a bit of that yeah so interesting you talked about your two your children so you're a mom of two young adults how would you say you have prepared them for a life where they are certainly going to experience some racial discrimination and especially having grown up in Wales where they were probably the only black people in their in their schools what did you do to prepare them like i say to myself i prepared i prepared my daughter by writing a book to her based on things that I wish I had known, based on my experiences, how she need not fit in the uh, crowd, how she need not uh, conform to the standards, how she how she need not, and this is both my children, how their beliefs had to be their own, how whatever drove them, whatever they were doing, had to come from beliefs that were um, fulfilling for them. So I think I, I also I also dragged my children into my faith, and they say this themselves. They say that 
that they didn't have a choice. Of course, now they have a choice. But my faith was part of what made me survive some of these things. So it's one of the things that I, I passed on to them as well. And also, communication is one of the things we constantly communicate with our children and we can communicate about all sorts of issues. And um, so it's 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 my book definitely is what uh, was the key for my daughter. And then continuing to um, chat with our children. My son says I need to write a book, 100 Things I Wish My Mother Had Told Me. So that covers covers him in life. But he's 21 now. I think he knows everything. Well, he knows as much as uh, my daughter knew then too. That's great. So you mentioned that you're passionate about untying the hands of women and girls so that they mm-hmm. can fulfill their potential. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means for you? Ladies, this is a passion for me. And I remember the day I discovered what it is I want to do. I want to untie women's hands because what I have discovered is that as women, we hold potential, huge potential in our hands in so many ways, but we sometimes don't get to use this potential because our hands are tied. And I've tried to define this to myself. And I think that one of the ways our hands are tied is by culture, by religion, by our communities, but also by our beliefs around these things. I think our limiting beliefs have tied our hands and we need to look at things that we believe and have believed and continue to believe and see if they're supporting our lives. And if they're not supporting our lives, we need to let them go. If they're not supporting our values, we need to step away from them so that we then have the freedom. Because what I find out is with all these limiting beliefs, with all these things that you should do, women shouldn't do, girls should do, girls shouldn't do, Women don't have the time to open their hands and see what is in there. And the day I opened my hands and realized my potential was the day that I began to live. And that's what I want to do, help other women um, untie and see what their potential is. Yeah. So what leadership lessons um, prepared you for the role in the board? You're part of the food and drink board for Wales. And obviously that was, like you said, a big step to take. And you've taken on many roles before then in terms of leading a business over here in London before you moved over to Wales and doing the pop-ups and everything else before you became a board member. What were those steps or those leadership lessons that helped you? Very, uh, very much a part of our life has been involved with people in churches. And I think that you get to know and understand people. And I think that relationships is huge in leadership. And I got to understand that I I have a knack for for people. I have an understanding of people. And I think that's a huge one that helped um, me, that leadership lessons from dealing with people in our church environment and in the different businesses that I've I've run. Um, I think also that um, um, just just having traveled the world, um, you learn a lot um, of different things and um, you, you get, no, you get exposed to different things and different opportunities. And I think that has been helpful. It made me realize that, do you know what, when I looked at the criteria for leadership, the joining the board, I fitted all of the, I don't know, there's something that um, the Welsh government is uh, passionate about, seven Nolan principles. I think that because of my faith and how I've lived, I, I ticked all the boxes for the seven Nolan principles. However, I'm not sure that I had all the experience that I needed to in terms of work. And so I think that 
my exposure, my faith are part of what helps my uh, leadership. I think my, I think the fact that I have um, had mentorship, not initially, but more recently, is also a key to help to helping or to leadership skills and what's motivated me what motivated me and made me think yeah i can i can i can do this i can i can take a leadership role yeah and it is that isn't it for women it's really common that you have to tick everything on that box before you actually apply whereas being stereotypical i'm sure it's not like for every man but a man will be like well i can do those three (laughs) (laughs) and and apply but we feel like we have to have ticked all the boxes before we actually step forward. Yeah. Lisa, I so agree with you. And one thing I will say on this, and, and networks are very important, I think, in, in leadership. Um, when, I, when I took out my CV, I looked at it and I looked, I compared it with the criteria. And then I asked, I told a friend that I was going to do this. Um, uh, hi, um, she's an aeronautical engineer. So she said, oh, yes, fantastic, Maggie, you can do that. I said, you know me, right? She said, yep. I sent my CV to her. By the time she sorted out my CV and put it, and I was thinking, is this, are we talking about the same person? So you're right. As women, sometimes we have this, what do they call it? Imposter syndrome. We sometimes don't see ourselves and therefore we don't think that we're able to lead. But daily ladies, we're leading families. We're leading groups of people. It is our natural, natural inclination. All we need to do is step it up. Yeah. 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 Too right. Too right. So what advice would you give, especially to black women out there looking to start up their own business? What advice would I give to black women looking to start up their own business? Do it. Do it. Get some courage. Go for it. Follow your dreams. Look what's in your hands and go with it. Seriously, that's that's my simple thing. If something is driving you, at least go for it. I, I think there's this thing of if you never try, then you don't know what you can do. But the thing I'm convinced about is that black women, especially the way we've been brought up, a lot of us and that have a strength. So just go for it and do it and prove that you can do it. And if that one doesn't work, go and try the next one, because eventually after failure, you'll know what you're good at and you'll stick with it. Yeah. No, that's great advice. Yeah. Looking at failure differently. It's a lesson learned, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just want to thank you so much for your time and the wisdom that you've just shared in this moment with us and with many other women out there and continue to wish you every success in what you do. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Lisa. And if you wanted to connect with Maggie, then you can find her on Maggie. Can you tell us where people can find your your foods and your products? You can find us on www.maggiesafricantwist.com on Instagram, Maggie's African Twist, on Facebook. At the moment, Maggie's Exotic Foods because Facebook don't want to change it. But um, yes, that's uh, um, us. If you just Maggie's African Twist or Maggie's Exotic Foods, if you Google us, you'll be able to reach us. Thank you. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on the Shira podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We will have another inspirational leader chatting with us very soon. Until then, keep learning and leading.